Do you believe in alternate universes? You are listening to Delayed Replay. The Improvised Movie Review Podcast. Wink. Everything is fine here. We're all fine. Just sit tight and listen to them talk about the movies they definitely saw. Don't delay. Don't delay. We have to listen right away. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we talk about movies that are recent or a few weeks old or months old even. Uh, this one, we saw opening weekend, so it was just a matter of finding the time to talk about it. And we're talking about Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And joining me on this episode, you've heard him before, probably, unless this is your first episode. <laughs> um, it's Mr. Mark Herleman. Hey, I'm looking forward to uh, letting the carnage flow. <laughs> nice, nice. Because, like, I think out of all my friends, you might be, like, the biggest Venom fan that I know. At, at least, like, as far as, like, because you've read, like, some of the comics, right? Yeah, I, um, Venom's probably one of my favorite Spider-Man characters. Um, and ironically, I've got a weird relationship with Venom because of all the Venoms out there, Flash Thompson as Agent Venom was my favorite. Um, I kind of came to love that character. But I, I've always been a fan of everything symbiote. So going forward with that and having, you know, both the first one and this one kind of play on that as hard as both of them did was pretty dang impressive. So looking forward to it. In fact, one of the first comic series that I ever bought when I started getting into The Amazing Spider-Man was Maximum Carnage. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the first time I ever became aware of Venom was when my brother showed me the trailer for Spider-Man 3 back in the day. Oh, it's um, both awesome and sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I know that like when we were kids, he would watch the '90s Spider-Man cartoons. So, like, I don't know right. if I might have seen Venom and Carnage on that, and possibly forgotten because I didn't like watch that show from beginning to end until like the early 2010s when it was on Netflix. Right, and the different takes, especially when you get to Carnage, like. You know, they stay somewhat close to certain aspects of the characters, but then they kind of do their own, like, it's a different universe, so we're going to do what we want. Yeah, so I guess my first on-screen experience of Venom was with, like, Eric Foreman as, um, <laughs> what's his name, as Eddie Brock, Brock. Jr. Right, right. And the trailer for that was really cool. I mean, that was a every yeah. bit the Star Wars equivalent of Chewie. We're home. Like when they showed him on the wall, sitting there in the suit wrapped around his face. And we finally saw Venom as he jumped. It was like, oh, and then they did the same thing when they when they did the first Venom with uh, Tom Hardy, where we saw the Venom symbiote come and jump forward. And everybody was, oh, my. And I think like that's one of the aspects of that character. And even like Wolverine, like people just want to see these characters in live action. They want to see them done right. You know, <laughs> When I saw Spider-Man 3 in the theater, like, afterward, and for, I think, a few years after that, I thought to myself, wow, this is the best Spider-Man movie ever. But then, like, as I got older, uh, like, looking back at it and then watching it again, I was like, yeah, no, this is easily the worst Spider-Man movie ever. Like, 
mm. like just taking in all the spider-man movies into account like i think it's the worst one but it's still worth watching if only for the memes you know because spawned a lot of memes well i think you hit it right in stride because for most people your experience was the pinnacle experience for most of them you know like they knew about the character they were looking forward to the character that movie was the top selling spider-man movie of its time and yet in retrospect most people do the old face palm and like, uh, okay, it was, there was other stuff that was better, but it wasn't horrible. <laughs> right, because the thing is, they they really mess up Peter Parker as a character, because in that movie, he becomes a jerk even before he gets the symbiote. Right, right. And, and I think that, too, was the thing that really irked off the people that were longtime Spider-Man fans. Because, like, well, the suit's supposed to be what really drives him to the edge. And, dang man he's already got the wheel <laughs> yeah i will say this though i still think that the final fight in that movie is uh one of the best scenes in like all the spider-man movies because i guess because like like watching that movie like years later i was like okay this is like a mess but then they bring it back by having like spider-man back in full form for that fight and you get the music and the cheesy american flag in the background and <laughs> like he teams up with um with harry osborne against like sandman and venom and it's just so triumphant and it's like this is what the whole movie should have been right like the whole back and forth between them like i understand why they did it i i felt like they put a lot of focus on that sandman's story though i think sandman was probably the unsung hero of the entire yeah. plot like that character arc was well done the graphics for the character were awesome um and, and he was very believable whereas like brock's story is one that that would have been so perfect and I don't know if, if Topher just didn't really give it his all or if it was just a decision making behind with Romney doing what he was doing where it just didn't quite land the same way. I mean, there should have been a lot of anger there. And and while we saw it, what we got, we just didn't get enough of. They should have definitely given Venom as the villain much more screen time instead of the, the last, you know quarter of the film and even of that it's kind of like he just kind of shows up out of nowhere they really really sold themselves short on how big a threat venom is to spider-man i mean you know you get a moment where it's like oh i didn't notice you in my spider sense but in the comics that point is driven home every issue <laughs> like <laughs> i mean it's like it's like uh in star wars with the yuzen vong showing up and the jedi can't feel him in the force it's like how do we even go about fighting this person because he had relied on his spidey sense for so long and here comes someone that can vanish right in front of you and you can't feel them and then on top of it all he knows your identity like venom in the comics was such a threat right out the gate showing up with aunt may and everything and be like hi pete <laughs> it's like oh man that was what i was hoping to see and you know there was almost the promise that we get that but then they, the way that they wrap up the venom story arc there i mean it was a cool look to it but it was over way too fast ah oh, that was that was yeah. the part yeah and i think there was even a point where people imagined that there was a post credit scene showing dr connor's look like that symbiote sample like hinting that like not all of that symbiote is destroyed but like i i do remember venom being in that spectacular spider-man cartoon it, it's been forever since i've seen it but i feel like he might have been executed better 
there, but I don't know for sure since it's been so long. See, and that's that's the dangerous thing about the cartoons for for people that are walking into these movies, right? Because the cartoons take, and I can't remember. I mean, I am horrible as to which Spider Man is which, but a lot of them directly go more towards the Ultimate Spider Man universe, where the symbiote was man made, and typically it was by Brock and and uh, or uh, Brock's dad and Peter's dad together. They made it, and the suit becomes you know this this weapon. Whereas in the comics and in the movies, thankfully, they didn't stick with that route where it came from outer space. And in fact, once Flash Thompson gets the suit, you discover a lot more of the backstory because he joins up with the Avengers, uh, which ends up leading him into the Guardians of the Galaxy. So like through Venom, I have followed a lot of comics that I wouldn't have read, you know, X-Force even. I mean, he's been everywhere. And so as Flash... You end up finding out that the symbiotes are called Clintars, that they come from a planet. And then they even go beyond that. And you find out that the planet of the symbiotes was a planet that was basically created with the symbiotes as a prison for their god, which is, uh, I can't remember his name, but they're calling him the King in Black. And in fact, his story arc is happening right now. He's on his way back to Earth to just racket everything up and just start beating everybody down. So, I mean, there's some really cool things that happen with him, Venom, Carnage, and a bunch of other symbiotes that come along down the way. So I, I look forward to the fact that they're playing in the symbiote pool just in general. Like every time they even hint that there might be, you know, potential team ups or even like what we've seen in Spider Verse, um, the comics had a Venom Verse kind of thing where we might see team ups down the road. And I knock on wood here because it's a Disney Fox Sony world where everybody's got their own rights and stuff. But, you know, the people watching it can still pretend like they might be able to see something cool and have uh, Tony Stark show up from an alternate universe. And it's not our Tony from Marvel, but he's very similar. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to like what we thought of the first Venom movie in a moment. But I just want to say real quick that three years ago, they released like Spider-Man 3, the editor's cut. And really? yeah, and it was like they had slight differences here and there. Like I think a couple of scenes, like the order in which they took place was changed. and. I watched it, and I was like, this is somehow a little bit worse than the theatrical version. So when they got to casting Venom, the character, you know, Eddie Brock, I should say, it was funny that they got Tom Hardy to play the character, because that's what I'd been hearing other people say, you know, Tom Hardy should play Venom, and of course, he played a version of Bane who doesn't use the Venom drug in The Dark Knight Rises, so that was pretty funny. Right. See, and, and I like the fact that Tom Hardy looks so similar to the way Brock is drawn most often. He's got that stockiness to him. Um, you know, I mean, granted, I think they play up his height more to make Tom Hardy look more tall like Brock, because Brock isn't a smaller guy, but he definitely has that, you know, uh, been in prison weightlifters kind of build. And I feel like Tom Hardy, even when he's looking small and scrappy, pulls that off well. I mean, I've always been a big fan of Tom Hardy. So once we knew that he was going to be playing Brock, I was already excited. Uh, for me, it came down to how they were going to do the suit. And I really appreciate everything they did in the movie Venom. Even though we didn't see the suit kind of have the Spider-Man characteristics and all that. We'd have no you know, white spider on the front or any of that. Uh, but the way they went about it and the nature of Marvel's multiverse and all that stuff, like I, I felt like this could easily have been a world where there was no Peter Parker and this was the evolution of Venom. Right. And we'll get to those 
connections in a little while. But um, yeah, I thought Tom Hardy was good for the role. What did you think of the movie, like the first Venom movie overall? I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the the way that the main characters ended up being, you know, the combined, I guess you would say, once they the symbiote latched onto the one guy and stuff. I really liked that angle. I liked the fact that they kept it alien. Um, you know, as we mentioned with the the animated stuff, you know, they they there were synthetic routes they could have went, and I appreciate that they kept it the way they did. I think my only gripe was how quick the suit went from yeah, let's eat them all to no, I'm going to protect you. like in the in the in the comics even the way that the character between brock and the symbiote has evolved was a slow progress as well because like i said i was a big fan of flash and when flash has the suit flash is like you're my partner we're we're a team we're gonna do this together whereas brock it was like you know it was we we are venom but they both they shared their anger for Parker. They both shared their you know wanting to protect innocence, but hated everyone else that was evil, and were both like didn't care how they went about it. So watching that relationship, like I I, I was looking forward to seeing more of that in the second one at least because I felt like that was the lacking part. But I did like the way that they played up the the personalities between Brock and the suit, the way the suit was calling him names and stuff. Thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, I did like the banter between eddie and the suit like there's some good humor there i think Mm. the movie overall was a bit underwhelming to me like i thought the first act uh was a really slow burn like i was kind of bored by it and trying hard to stay awake but it gets to a point where like it starts moving more and so i was able to like stay awake from that point on and then like there was some cool scenes but i kind of didn't like how some of the scenes were like dimly lit uh to the point where it was like hard to see what was going on at certain points right you almost think they did that for budgetary means so they wouldn't have to put a lot of detail into the stuff i i I could definitely feel that um i it's a tough one for me because like i said i was so excited about the character that it was kind of like this is just an alternate universe take on it. And I'm totally down for wherever we go. Like I, I bought into the aspect that there's no Spider-Man showing up in the first one. I was like, okay, like this, this is Venom evolving in a Spider-Man free universe. Okay. I can, I can track that. Right. And of course, as we learn in the sequel of Venom, let there be carnage. Uh, so it's explained that like the first movie took place I guess in the months that followed Infinity War, which is why there was like no Spider-Man at the time. And so like Let There Be Carnage is like after like Spider-Man is back and then like there's a point in the movie where like they see like that news broadcast about Spider-Man and Far From Home and then like Venom gets like the suit gets the inspiration to have the white spider on front. How'd you react during that moment in Dude. Let There Be Carnage? I teared up. I was not ready for that when they showed uh the you know the it was subtle. There was like three different backgrounds where you saw billboards with Stark, just like you saw in uh Homecoming or uh, Far From Home. I thought that was nice. I wasn't prepared for that. I I mean honestly, I mean in one aspect, Let There Be Carnage is almost like you and I's dream of like, let's take this character from this movie franchise, this character from over here, and let's just put them all together. Let yeah. there be carnage. I was like, how, how, how did you get this? To, like, this is the kind of stuff about 
trademarks and, and rights and stuff that just irritates me, right? That you can have all these different cartoons with all these characters in it, no problem. But the second you have one that's live action, you've got all these rules and hoops that you have to jump through and they limit what you can and can't do. Deadpool did a very good job with, with what they did, getting characters and stuff with that. But how on earth they were able to do what they did with this and, and reference so much stuff from Disney's universe. I was just like, oh, somebody's going to get sued over here. But I, I mean, maybe this is how they got Tom, Har uh, Tom Holland in his uh, next three or four movies that Disney's going to be doing. I, there's so much behind the scenes stuff that it's, it makes me interested as it moves along, as we find out these things to learn what we didn't know, because they're always keeping everything hush hush. Um, this movie was so exciting, though. And when we had that moment where when we found out why the suit had the spider, I honestly, that was the cream on the cake for me. That was a cherry on top in the progress of the character of Venom and his evolution, because that was my one gripe about the front. First one was that there was no, you know, all the spider characteristics. So to have him kind of take that up as an homage to the fallen hero was pretty badass. Yeah, because like a little more than a year ago, there were like those reports that like, oh, Sony and Disney slash Marvel Studios aren't like playing ball or whatever. But then they came to an agreement. So like, I guess for this movie, they like decide, yeah, let's just like do as much as we can. It's what the fans want. So give the fans what they want. So uh, I really like that. I, I have to wonder what Tom Holland's conversation was when he called them up. You know, it's like he probably called him was like, look. We're talking about comic universes with multiverses. There's no reason why we can't have a universe where you two both get along. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Be the universe that you want to see. Right. I mean, if DC and Marvel can do it on the pages of a comic and you can have Batclaw or whatever the heck Wolverine and Batman's name was. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Claw, uh, there was like a little Easter egg when like, Eddie Brock is like scrolling through old news articles and he sees one of Ulysses Claw, you know, Andy Serkis's character and like Andy Serkis directed Let There Be Carnage. So I thought that was pretty funny. I, you know, I was, I was not prepared for that. Like, I know I must have seen somewhere that he was doing it, but it didn't really click that that's who was directing. And I was impressed. The action scenes, the way that he chose to do a lot of the scenery and the angles reminded me very much of the way Gareth Edwards did Rogue One, where it was just like, you just pause at certain moments and you're like, wow, that would be a killer you know, uh, wallpaper on your computer. You know, just yeah. really well detailed, especially when you consider how dark the first one was. It was like, they just cranked up the light and they're like, you know what? We're going big. We're just going to, we're not, no shame in our game. We'll light it all up and we'll just show them what we got. And boy, did they have stuff. I mean, the plot almost at times felt like Maximum Carnage, the comic. I mean, they were just waiting for characters to show up that, that didn't, but I was surprised by some of them that did. Yeah, like, one of the characters that kind of comes back into play is, um, you know, John Jameson, um, who's the astronaut we see in the first movie. He comes back and apparently, like, uh, he obtained, like, the that crystal thing from space that turns him into Man-Wolf. And it's like, I was not expecting to see him in this movie. I was talking with Greg on the Morbius episode about how cool that would be. And I was, like, so, like satisfied to see that in this 
Right. I was a little disappointed that Morbius didn't play a bigger role because he did play a role in the Maximum Carnage story arc. He came to Peter and Venom's aid to help take down Carnage's family. Um, I mean, the fact that he showed up and, and had like that whole plot point with dropping the, the science knowledge was great. And it did put him as having a hand in things. But you would have thought with that movie just coming out, like they would have really played that role up a little bit more. I mean, that, that's one of those things like I, I think that they're paying attention to like Spider-Man 3 where he had just too many people. And then you're watching Endgame and you're watching, uh, you know, uh, Infinity Gauntlet and it hurts it. Infinity you know, War. Yeah, Infinity War. We watch all those characters, and you know it can be done. But then you're like, well, yeah, but well, remember what we did with Spider-Man 2? Like, they yeah. let it that <laughs> well. Like, the whole Namor plot, right? I was not expecting that. Like, you've got, they, they converted Alcatraz to look like the raft, which was slick because, it, you know, the raft's supposed to be way out in the ocean. And I didn't realize that was Alcatraz until you got into some of the scenes where the cells and stuff were, and it was like, wait, is that? Because, you know, the raft is a high-tech prison. It's supposed to be way out in the ocean and stuff. So to have Namor and the Atlanteans kind of guarding it to keep the people from swimming away or, or escaping was an interesting twist. And then to have them bring him back in at the end when they rallied everybody together to kind of stop Carnage's group, that was a killer moment. I mean, and I'm not a fan of Namor. Normally, I, I like my Namor when he's on the bad guy side. So for him <laughs> to play the hero, I was kind of like, I, I'm kind of hoping that that's something they play down the road where they push him into a role where he has to kind of take a hard line and side with the Atlanteans over humans and it forces him to become the villain because that's typically what pushes him. I mean, he's a very character driven character when he goes bad. So like, I'm kind of hoping that they're doing some seeds there because he was definitely pissed off with the way the government handled everything and the way they just pushed him and the Atlanteans off to the side when they failed to keep him on the raft. But by him, I mean Carnage. Yeah, because I think last I heard, Namor was like universal property. So it seems like all these studios are like finally working together to like, again, give the fans what they want. See the comic books as you would think they'd appear like on the screen with less of these like restrictions and everything. So I really appreciate that. Right. I like the twist where Woody Harrelson's Carnage was angry at Brock for getting his uh, fiance's son murdered in the gang fight due to the story that he published. Like that was an interesting twist because there was no relationship like that between the two of them originally. Originally they had a cell together and Cletus was like that, you know, the psychopath like to brag about what he did to little children in dark. You know, it's like even Brock was like, dude, you should die. And then when he get, the suit comes and breaks him out, a seed gets left and Carnage takes over the seed. And so Carnage is kind of like, tormenting venom with the whole hey dad kind of line with him having a stake into wanting to kill brock and then finding out that brock had the powers of the suit and then once he found a way to take that for himself i was like holy crap now this is a villain i i that's a villain that marvel needs to be hanging around with and and bringing into more stuff because i mean thanos was cool and yeah snap half half everybody disappears but to have somebody that that just embodies everything that's vicious and evil about the comic book character in a way that just worked like that ah, that was just so brilliant like i mean it, it also kind of flipped the script on the whole hatred of parker and brock whereas now it's cletus that hates brock for a similar reason why brock hated peter yeah, and again, like at the very end of the first Venom movie, I think lots of us, my, well, myself included, were expecting 
okay, it's going to end with some tease of carnage, right? And like they show Woody Harrelson, and it's like, oh yeah, of course he would be the one to play Cassidy as Carnage. Right? And mm-hmm. it's funny because like he and Andy Serkis have worked together on War for the Planet of the Apes, which is right? such an excellent film. I forgot about that, yeah. It was great uh, having him in that role. And what did you think of how his transformation into Carnage went down, like the way oh. they showed it? That was okay. So, so technically that should have been the second transformation. If you're, if you're going to be like pulling on comic threads, which I really, I feel like you can't. I, I think if you're going to complain about, well, I didn't follow the comic. You didn't pay attention to the first movie. You haven't been paying attention to this franchise, Marvel movies in general, superhero movies in general. They take things from it. So to have the suit come out of his blood was awesome because that's that's the staple of who carnage is now but when he first started out he was just like venom where it was on the outside when the suit got burnt off he thought that it all had died with him but some of it went down into his bloodstream and it reproduced in his blood and it took over his blood and it became you couldn't separate one from the other so to jump right to that right out the gate was an interesting twist because as long as he's got that symbiote flowing through his veins he's practically unstoppable I mean, they've, they've ripped him in half. They tore his head off. Everything they've ever done to him, he has come back. So I'm like, as soon as they went that route, it was like when you had the first Spider-Man and they went with the 2099 spinnerets under the skin. I'm like, oh, they're getting rid of the spit, the web shooters. He's going with spinnerets. Oh, that's cool. Like, I, yeah, I got excited about that, man. Yeah. And so Eddie knows that, like, when Carnage goes on the run, Eddie knows that he has to, like, go after him. And, we should mention real quick that Eddie, um, like, you know, he had his, like, ex-fiance. And, uh, and, and, like, now she's dating Dr. Dan Lewis. Um, and he feels bad about, like, leaving and whatnot. And, like, how their lives got complicated and they're not together anymore. It feels kind of like the Spider-Man 2 thing where, like, a- MJ is with um, John. Harry? Oh, or, oh. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's it's so weird to talk about this with like a different version of John Jameson in this one. But yeah, <laughs> it kind of feels like a similar um, story structure, I guess. Right. I, I will say, though, you know, because Anne's story has more ramifications and the, the way that they touched on some of that in the first one worked really well. But what's going on currently in the Venom storyline, she from an alternate universe is basically the Flash Thompson. She's like Agent Venom. And to have that come around tied in with those end credit scenes so well, when you see in the end credit scenes that she's pregnant, if you've been reading the comics, that's an important thing because the suit took Brock's DNA. And when she wore the suit in the comics, she was impregnated with Brock's son, Dylan, who ends up being a human symbiote hybrid. Dude, that was easily what that Ed credit scene was all about, dude. They're pushing that. The fact that they did that and that they had the Life Foundation uh, right there when everything got really bad and he went to the Life Foundation and you found out that they had harvested the seeds from the suit and that they were going to uh, team up the rest of the guys with the suits and you were going to have basically the five other symbiotes from the Lethal Protector story arc. I was flipping out. I stood up and fist bumped. I was so excited (laughs) to see Shriek you know, get taken down by that one uh, girl with the orange and the red. Oh, what the heck was her name? But her name was like Shrike 2 or something like that. Or Shriek and Shrike. 
scream or something like that. I can't remember her name from the comic, but man, oh, the way that they had her hair lashing around and everything was so cool. And when Shriek would scream and stuff, the way that they played the sound waves off the symbiotes looked awesome. They definitely paid a lot more attention to the way that the symbiotes interacted with the environments around them in the CGI. It looked a hell of a lot more realistic this time around. Yeah, and in this movie, a Shriek is Cletus Cassidy's love interest. So, like, when he's on the run, he goes and looks for her. And, of course, this all leads to, like, all these other symbiote-wearing characters, like, coming about. Uh, Did you think they were all introduced, like, at a good pace? Or do you think it was, like, too much too fast? Well, that's where I felt like it was really sticking close to the Maximum Carnage story arc. Because in that one... He, you know, he starts dating her and she starts calling him dad. He starts calling her mom. And then they start rounding up villains to be their kids. I'm glad they didn't go that route with everything. Like you definitely got the family vibe because they were all symbiotes, but that wasn't like that in the, in the maximum carnage. It was just, he had a bunch of bad guys that were all similar mind of like, let's just kill everybody. And so to have them all take on a symbiote and then have that enhance their powers and then they were all you felt like they were all playing for team bad guy, not playing for team psychopath, whereas that's how the comic definitely came across. It was like they were just out to kill people and just to shock people. And they were the hills have eyes kind of bad guys. So the way that they did it with this, it it felt more almost X-Force where they were like a black ops team but they weren't working for the government or, or even for a mutant organization. They were just working for Cletus and Cletus was the the whole crazy. It wasn't really so much that the rest of them were crazy. I felt like shriek herself was crazy enough for loving him. But once that they were all in the suits and stuff, I felt like at that point, because Cletus had suppressed his suit and had taken it over the way he did, I felt like everything was an extension of him, which kind of ties into Carnage USA, the comic where he took over an entire city by doing the same thing, where he spread the suit out and it just he encased every person with his own tendrils of the Carnage suit. Well, I mean, I had that same feeling, even though it wasn't the same way of going about it. I, th- I There were so many homages to so many different story arcs that came before that I was like, oh, my God, who wrote this? And how many <laughs> how many comics have they been reading? Because like I've followed Venom since he came out, and there's still a lot of Venom stories that I missed out there, late nineties, early two thousands and stuff, before I got back onto the Venom train and, and tried not to miss anything else. And even then I missed stuff because he started going on other quests and stuff like that. And I'm still, you know, looking at those, you know, ten things you missed articles and stuff, and I'm like, how do yeah. damn it? <laughs> Yeah, so the orange and red one, I, I just looked it up. Her name is Scream, right? Scream! Ah, shriek, Scream. I knew I was in the yelling category. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The, this is a tangent, but Scream is such a good movie. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> right? But anyway, um, it, it does look like they did their research for this one, and this movie goes all over the map. Like, it's kind of funny how when we talked about the hitman's wife's bodyguard, we talked about when they went to New Zealand. And in this one, they end up in Australia, and there's this really sick fight in the Sydney Opera House, which is uh, so cool. That was that was probably my favorite moment with, with the embracing of Venom's heritage as being a Spider-Man tribute. Because to see him doing all the web-slinging and stuff, not just the symbiote just stretching out and stuff. Him utilizing powers that Peter had empl- employed against uh, 
Cletus. That was a great moment. But I mean, I mean, think about too, before we get to that moment, when Cletus starts his killing spree and the way they did that, like, cause you know, the whole time I'm like, how are they going to do this without going rated R? Because the comic was always graphic, but at least the comic, when they did it, it was kind of like, you'd see the blade come down and then you'd hear like the, you'd see the word shlunk kind of thing you wouldn't see blood or anything so when they had the scene where he launched off on his killing spree and it being down in anaheim at disneyland i'm like somebody's gonna get sued now i kept thinking somebody's gonna get sued all the way through this movie i'm just i think for me that was probably the most exciting thing because i'm like somebody doesn't care about trademarks and rights and all this at all they're just going full in and then by the time we get to, to sydney australia i'm just like okay we've practically gone around the world at this point and they kept it believable like it wasn't just like all of a sudden like he's climbing on a ship and he's taking forever like they did in the first one with the bad guy where you're like how long was he on that boat you know? <laughs> yeah the montage reminded me very much of indiana jones with the whole map and stuff but they did it with the whole the, the venom yeah. symbiote tendril going like across sleeping it sleeping on the plane with his hat over his face hey see the map with like the dots <laughs> when he did that though for a moment i was just like okay now yeah, I, it was what, about halfway through the movie at that point. I almost thought that they were going to end it real quick and that we we're going to find out that he escaped because it was just like, okay, he got away. He's like Venom. They can't really track him. But then I forgot about the fact that this whole movie is all about him killing everybody. So, of course, when he shows up, he just starts killing everybody. It's like a big old blip on the radar. Then it's all a matter of can they get there in time? And it was a cool moment, too, because that's when they brought in uh, uh, Cloak and Dagger. and and Cloak. You know, his whole story, Eric, I don't know if you ever watched the Cloak and Dagger TV show. Oh, not, I did. Not quite the same, but they they had a role in Maximum Carnage, too. And the, usually, utilizing Cloak to be the teleportation device to get him there so fast was a brilliant move and a touch to the Maximum sto uh, Carnage storyline. You know me, man. I, I get a kick out of any time there's an homage like that. Even when we got to uh, Endgame and we saw all the girl Avengers rally around Spider-Man, I'm like, oh, oh, it's the A-Force. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know some people weren't really into that scene, but it's like, come on, it's it's just, it's a good scene. It's a great gathering of those heroes. And like, you know, it doesn't feel forced to me. Maybe it varies depending on people, but I thought it was a really good scene. And that whole like endgame sequence was just a great battle. Mm -hmm. You know, what I thought was interesting was the choice of the voice of Carnage, right? I mean, you know, the, the Venom symbiote had such great one-liners and stuff in the first one and in fact he had that that great line where he's like the bitter patter of little feet sounds sweet and i'm just yeah. like that is he haikuing it up here but the way that they made carnage <laughs> sound i mean dude he almost sounded like flesh being rendered apart when he was talking it was like you could you could almost hear like screams in the background of his voice that was so damn creepy and yet it worked. Like every time he would yell and be like, we're going to have some carnage. Oh God. The way you could hear him just shrieking in the background was like, how did they do that? It was almost yeah. like you found out that Chewbacca was a bear. You're like, that's the sound. <laughs> no way. I hope they put out like a mini documentary about like the sound editing for this. Cause I want to know how they accomplished the voice for carnage because it, it's been haunting me ever since I watched this movie. And I feel like, 
when I do see how they accomplished it, that will like demystify it or whatever, and I won't be like as haunted by it. You're gonna find out like it's just some beekeeper that got uh, fell over into his beehive, and they attacked him to death, and they there's <laughs> this last screams and cries, and they put that in the back of every one of them. You're like, what? That's that's so horrible, horrible. I feel like it's very clear, like who's the hero and who's the villain. Like, like I know Venom is like an anti-hero, but I feel like in this one, maybe even more so than in the first movie, uh, Venom is more of a heroic type of character. I don't know if you got like the same vibe. Yeah, I did. Well, that's the one side effect of, of how they pulled the Spider-Man angle that kind of worked against them. Right. Because like in maximum carnage, you know, when Peter has to reach out to Venom for help, it's not easy because one venom still terrifies the ever living crap out of him because he's almost just as evil in Peter's eyes. Right. So, so to acknowledge that this threat is so bad that I actually have to team up with my enemy was one of the great things about that story arc, but the way they went about it with this worked because like, like I said at the beginning, this feels very much like what's going on with the, the King in black. And we're in that story arc. Brock's like the only hero that knows what's going down. And so he's the one that goes to the Avengers and is like, look, this is what's happening. So when we have that moment where he's the one that reaches out to Peter and, and starts, you know, forming the team, like I, I felt like at that moment, he was the ringleader. Granted, you know, Peter comes in and Peter starts taking over because he's got more credentials as a hero. But I mean, come on, Pete, you're barely an Avenger right now. <laughs> he's almost Iron Lad. <laughs> Yeah, is Iron Lad actually a title in the comics, or is that just the fan nickname right now? So, uh, in the comics, Iron Lad was uh, was Krang. Um, you end up finding out that the Young Avengers they had an Iron Lad who was supposed to be like a young version or a, a, a rip off of Iron Man, and it turns out it's Krang from an alternate universe. Like every single universe, Krang ends up becoming evil except for one. And in that one universe, a version of Krang from the future saves Young Krang tells him about what's going to happen but the older versions like telling him as in like hey i'm going to give you a one up you'll be able to become evil even faster but it backfires and that krang's like i'm going to be a hero and so he becomes iron lad and you know it's a really weird story which i'm kind of hoping that when we get to ant-man 3 that they might do something along those lines but you know th when they mentioned iron lad like that and they were you know teasing P peter as being iron lad i I saw it as just a joke, but I could see a lot of people running with that being like, oh, you know, it's Night Monkey all over again. He's got a new alias. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know, like with Spider-Man and the MCU, I, I get that they really wanted to like tie him into Iron Man. And I feel like the point of Far From Home was that, oh, maybe he is finally like moving past that being his own hero. So I hope that they're embracing that more. Right. Like, like, it's still weird to me that there's not much of a mention of, um, like, Uncle Ben. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think he's been mentioned at all, which is weird. Right, right. Well, and that's, that's another side effect of transferring all this history. Because, like, for the Venom story arc, right, in these two movies, we've covered almost 30 years worth of little stories in two movies. Whereas, like, Pete, Pete's in the petulant, I'm stuck as a teenager, but... To yeah. have gotten to that point for the Venom stories, Pete would be in his 30s by now. <laughs> like, they shoved so much stuff in there, and it worked, though. I mean, it, it didn't feel like it was too too much plots happening at once. 
You know, it was just like well done just enough. I'm sure that there's probably some arguments out there for why it's all completely horrible, but I didn't catch that. <laughs> I was too in the moment of just soaking in the look of the suit and the way the suit was constantly moving on carnage and the way it looked like blood and, and the way his, his teeth weren't teeth at all. I mean, dude, that was straight up the original version of the comic character, the way he was drawn. In an, in a live action form. It was like, holy cow. I was so beyond myself with just glee. I, I don't think I've smiled that hard since when I sat down and watched The Force Awakens for the first time in theaters. Like, I'm like, oh my God, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, throughout the movie, I was wondering to myself whether there were too many of these characters, but I did like the moments here and there where like, you know, like there's that moment where Morbius is like, like he shows up and he tells uh eddie he's like we're being hunted and spider-man is being hunted at some point we're gonna have to rally together against something and it's like they're they're pretty much setting up like some sort of team up at some point and you know all man wolf is also being hunted and i really like how they brought him back into this when like you know the villains are heading back to san francisco because like they know Anne is eddie's weakness and so like mm-hmm. when they get to like you know, this is in the third act. When they get to that like fight over there, you like Manwolf comes into the picture and because he's been struggling with his identity, but he decides I want to be a hero as well. And what what did you think of that whole like end fight sequence type of thing? It was cool because you know I'm not a fan of Manwolf as a character, but I do like John Jameson. Right. When they, when they made him man wolf, I was kind of like, what? Like it felt, it felt very Frankenstein where they killed Punisher and they brought him back as Frank Castlestein. <laughs> I was like, oh man. Uh, you know, and they had that whole, there was a whole monsters unleashed thing with all these other arcs. So like, I, I know there were a lot of references to those stories that I was not getting. Because I I didn't follow those arcs. I, I when those comics came out, I just was like, nah, not really my thing. You know, I was I was so hung up on him being Manwolf that I didn't realize. You know, there are good stories out there with him in in the guise as Manwolf. Um, but the way that they played it off and the way that the whole gumshoe aspect of them, you know, you almost felt like like Brock was Batman and and Manwolf was playing Robin kind of thing. Like he was like taking the lead from Brock through the whole dang thing. I'm like, okay, this is too much. And it it even drove Peter nuts at times. And I loved that aspect too, because, you know, Peter knows who Manwolf's dad is and he knows, you know, and, and the fact that they dodged that bullet the whole time, like, you know, Pete's like, there but he's like never openly out there too much like you know you know he's on the run and stuff but they never really addressed like that was an interesting way to just tiptoe around it too yeah and this is kind of going back to far from home but like i just have to mention that like at the very end when they showed jk simmons as J. Jonah jameson again i was like the only one in my theater who like yelled out yes and then the person next to me laughed <laughs> Right. That was me, too. I, I, I saw an interview where he uh, the actor was talking about how the only thing that's different about the character and the one from the other movie is that he's bald. <laughs> I'm like, oh, nice. That, that's great. That's a great way to play it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so apparently a Manwolf movie might be in development. So I could see this being like a way of just incorporating his origin into this movie so that the next movie that might feature him could just like be past that and like follow his further adventures i guess i mean it'll be interesting seeing how they 
handle and juggle all these different characters like going from this point right right well i liked the aspect of the the race still watching them um you know right right after everything kind of wraps up and before we get the end credit scene where we see out by pluto and we see the, another one of those ships and it's just basically docked there just watching everything that's going on i uh, there's so many different stories that when i saw that i was like okay well, this could be planet of the symbiotes uh this i mean there's just so many different story arcs that they could have that they could bring in or the one that's happening right now with the king in black which is like oh my god the hint that something's out there watching them and you know you have this i mean for all intents and purposes you basically have a mini civil war at one point when you've got everybody simmed up on both teams going head to head I mean, the, talk about fashionable. When those suits were changing <laughs> on the on both teams, where they're like, you know, they're, they're going toe to toe, and uh, oh, what the heck was that one guy's name? Riot, uh, the guy on uh, Carnage's team, the the guy with the blue and the dark purple uh, swirls. That guy, Riot, when he would go, oh, yeah, Riot, when yeah, he went Riot, up toe to toe um... with what's his butt, and they were stripping the suits off of each other, which was a great comic cover, by the way. Uh, and then it was. Uh, it wasn't Namor. Who was God? What was that one guy kid's name? I can't think of his name. The, the one kid that had the, the the yellow suit that was slightly green tinted. When he sat there and he was morphing his suit to kind of combat the tearing apart process, I swear to God, dude, I I can't wait to get this on DVD because I'm going to pause the hell out of that scene. I swear that they had that suit morph into five different versions of the Venom suit that we've seen. There were, I'm sure Space Knight. I, I know I saw Agent Venom for a split second. But the way that it morphed and then finally it turned into all the little jabbing spike things and it repelled him back was a really cool moment. I'm like, oh, that must have been about about $50,000 of the budget. <laughs> yeah, so we had a riot in the first movie, but we got like a second riot in this one because like the new character who's riot in this one, I guess, wanted to pay homage or whatever. And I mean, it's a cool name. So it's like, why not continue using it? <laughs> right. <I guess. laughs> So, yeah, so how do you feel about how things wrapped up and how well do you think the credit scene was executed overall? I think the credit scenes, both of them work the best because they both have so much promise, right? I mean, as we were saying, there were so many different story arcs you could run off of. And the fact that in the comics right now, Dylan's character in the current King and Black story arc is going to be a big player because uh in the in fact in the last issue that dropped like three days ago uh they being brock dylan and uh an alternate version of reed richards called the maker get pulled into this uh, multi uh you know the multiverse and they get dropped into another universe and in this universe like i said Anne is one of the the venom symbiotes cassidy is actually a good guy um, Parker's one of them and Deadpool is one of them on their team. Well, you find out that the big bad is a guy that goes by the name Codex. And at the end of the issue, you find out that in that universe, Codex is Dylan. So if they're going to do anything with Anne being pregnant, and if they decide to pull the Dylan angle at all, with it being a hybrid of the suit, Brock and Anne, and him being a human symbiote hybrid, I, I'm curious as to how that's going to play with their other end credit scene, which was the main ship hanging outside and watching from Pluto. Cause I'm like, clearly you get the feeling like the next movie is going to have either more to do with outer space 
or more aliens landing on the planet to create more problems. Yeah, I kind of get that vibe too, that the next Venom movie, like if they do make one, it'll probably like be more out there, more cosmic. And I, I do like that idea because like we've been seeing the MCU films get slowly, slowly more cosmic, you know, with Guardians of the Galaxy movies and, um, also Captain Marvel and like potentially some of the stuff that's coming later. So yeah, I like that they're embracing that side of comic books in general. You know, it's not just on Earth. There's like stuff in space and there's like so much to explore, you know, like right. Galactus is out there and lots of other things. Yeah, the Kree. Yeah, there's a what well, You know, and I heard people while I was leaving the theater complaining about how many symbionts there were already. I mean, what? There was about almost 10 to 12 i mean i think it's probably 12 if you count every single person like even the dog at the one point when the dog turned into one you're like ah because that reminded me of the uh there's a deadpool one carnage versus deadpool where he takes five scraps of some of the brothers and, and one of them's a dog that he's got leashed off of his arm but like the the fact that you've got that and if you know, the next one's going to be something even bigger, whether you do something like Planet of the Symbiotes, where, you know, almost everybody on the planet gets taken over. Or I want to say, what was the other one? I can't remember the name of it. But there was another similar event like that where they were doing the uh, Venomverse, where all the symbiotes were coming. There was an alien species called Poisons, and they were using symbiotes at weapons. So they'd have these guns that would shoot symbiotes onto people, right? And so Captain America had one, Wolverine, everybody had one. And then what happened was then the poisons would send their little baby poisons and they would latch onto the symbiote and they would corrupt the symbiote, take over the symbiote, and the person inside would then be devoured by the new poison and all that would be left was the poisons. So it's like, like there's some different angles they could go. But even as we were leaving that first, that first showing, there were so many people complaining about just 12 symbiotes that I'm just like, I could see that being a big problem for a lot of people. It's like, okay, now we're just getting crazy. Now you got two planets full of these aliens. Like, <laughs> like, like you know, we were talking about how the first one was really dark to hide. Like, I could see something like that ended up being the case where they're like, we've got so much CGI that let's just make everything really dark so you can't see it. I, I just worry about that. Like, if they go that direction, it could backfire. Yeah, I get what you mean. I, I just want to say in general that not just the graphics, right, that were awesome, but the fight scenes themselves with the physical actors, like the scene, like they did the similar scene like they did in the first one where the two symbiotes kind of come off of the bodies of the hosts and the hosts go toe to toe. I thought that was a great moment. You know, I mean, Woody Harrelson's been doing action stuff for a really long time and so has Tom Hardy. So to see them go toe to toe like that was a yeah. very satisfying moment, man. It's so weird, like, thinking of how, like, Woody Harrelson was this, like, innocent-looking guy on Cheers in the 80s and early 90s. And, like, look at how far he's come. Right. Well, I go, I just, the the first time when I saw him and his Cletus Cassidy, I'm just like, natural-born killers. Like, that was my first, oh, my God, yeah. Woody Harrelson is just so different than what I ever thought. And he was so versatile as an actor was when I watched him in that, because, like, he really played psychotic in that. Uh, you know, Mickey and Mallory, no, it's like, oh, just, oh, God. When I knew that he was going to be playing Carnage, I was like, okay, we're going to be in for a treat. And he did not let me down. <laughs> like, every moment was just candy. 
Yeah, it, that's funny because that reminds me of when, um, like, when I, I asked my brother about Carnage way back in the day, he's like, oh, Carnage is just eye candy. And it's like, yeah, he's kind of cool to look at the way he's drawn or animated. Mm-hmm. But he also looked cool in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, and, like, you know, some of my favorite figures, because I, I have a lot of uh, Marvel Legends figures. One of them that I have is a Carnage from Disney's Legends line. From the, You get them from their actual uh, at the park. They're a little bit bigger, but it works out because I've got him fighting my Ben Riley. But the, the suits that they have for the carnage, he's got a lot of the tendrils coming off a lot. And he's always been drawn that way. He's always using the tendrils as weapons and stuff. And they nailed that aspect. I mean, as I said, the way it looked like blood and it was constantly flowing and moving, like that was every bit of what you would get in the panel to panel action of watching the character. You know, you'd see him in one panel and then the next panel would be like a couple seconds later, but his suit would be just drawn so different that you could tell it's flowing around him. And I just, I I think the way that they played that up and you got that sense that the suit itself was just so angry and, and the backstory on why the suit was angry and the way it also had a tie in to help you know him hate brock and the suit even more was just like this is such a the, the way they flipped that script of making carnage basically be venom and making venom be spider-man and it's why carnage hates venom oh, i just i thought that was brilliant and the way that circus ended up doing it the way i just kudos man like i hope he gets some awards for his directing on this because it was probably one of the better directed movies i've seen in a while yeah, I mean, when Andy Serkis was announced as the director, I wasn't sure how to feel, especially after I watched um, the movie Mowgli, which was directed by him. Right. Um, and like that one, like for much of that one, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. And then toward the end, I felt like it got darker in tone than it needed to be, especially <laughs> with what happens to a certain character. Right. Um, but I thought he did a better job with venom let there be carnage and also andy circus is just one of my favorite actors in general i just love how he projects his voice as caesar in the recent planet of the apes movies and he's a very versatile actor he can do comedy or he can do drama like i just love the guy mm-hmm. yeah no and, and I'm, I'm with you when i watched mowgli i was like i felt like it was more like they put him in charge because he's really good at doing cgi you know and and that kind of environment of pretending something's there when it's not there and they're like who better to put in this role whereas this just showed you know i mean i i don't know how much of it he was involved with in the writing and stuff but all the threads that they picked on and touched on it just you know i i there are very few times that you have that many and i want to say that just in you know infinity war and endgame those two especially are probably the biggest example of that being so successful and to have done that in one film and it being not even as long as those two was like, wow, that was pretty damn cool. So I, I got to give him props. So just mad props because I, I, I truly feel like he had a big hand in all that. And I, I don't normally do the making of videos and get those type of books and stuff, but I'm definitely going to get this ones because there's so much that they were doing that. I would just, I want to know how they did it. What made them think to do that? There was just, you know, I mean, that whole aspect of making uh, Cassidy hate Brock and giving the Carnage suit a reason to hate the Venom suit and having them bond over that was like, oh, my God. Like, I I just yeah, I'm I'm sitting here with a big old grin on my face. That was just definitely (laughs) probably my biggest highlight of the of the whole film. Aside from finding out that Peter was going to be in it. I was like, 
that that was honestly something I never thought was going to happen. So, you know, like that was something that I expected to not happen. Whereas what they did with the, the carnage and Cletus and the, the whole, you know, that flip in the script of the Peter and the Venom, that was just completely left field. And I was just like, that's so weird. Right. And according to the credits, the screenplay was by Kelly Marcel. So hmm. pro- props to Kelly. Right. It does feel like there was like some good collaboration and adaptation going on. At least that's the vibe I get, even without having read much of like the Venom related stories you know right right because yeah i mean for me i was just like picking up things left and right i was just like oh my god oh my oh oh my 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 son's just like dad stop shut up <laughs> <laughs> i'm like yeah you can't take me to a marvel movie <laughs> or star wars <laughs> right you could take me to harry right. potter though i don't know much about that <laughs> <laughs> uh what are your final thoughts and score out of 10 for venom let there be Oh man, I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, you know, I, I don't think I could say enough good things. I mean, all the way around, visual eye candy, great plot, great fan service, great actors, great directing, uh, great execution. I would say this is easily a solid 9.25. There is some wiggle room there that they could have made some things a little better. They could have brought in some other characters. Some of the character choices were a little awkward to me, but Again, I don't have much negative to say about this one, man. I was, it's definitely my highlight of 2020. Yeah, I can tell. Um, nice. So for me, this one's really hard for me to rate. Um, I do think it's definitely better than the first movie, which I thought was like maybe a six at least, maybe a 6.5 at best. Right. Um, I'm struggling to figure out whether I like this more or less than Morbius. It's like around the same area. Like Morbius, I gave like a solid eight out of 10. Mm. So with Let There Be Carnage, I do think there were times where it got a little confusing with the amount of like symbiote characters and everything going on. But at the same time, (laughs) but at the same time, I did have an appreciation for like the fact that they were going there and like bringing all these characters together that we didn't think we'd see in the Venom sequel. So, um, oh, geez, this is tough. <laughs> Search um, your feelings. You know it to be true. <laughs> Good, bad, happy. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So I think for like this, the synergy aspect of it, I think. Right now, I like it slightly more than Morbius, which, granted, I love the vampire aesthetic of Morbius. Like, I'm really into, like, that sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. and I love the horror vibe of that. Mm -hmm. But I think at the moment, maybe it's because, like, we saw this one sooner, so it's fresher on my mind. I think I might like this one a little bit more than Morbius. I don't know if that'll change over time, or maybe, like, the next Venom movie could change my opinion of this one. I don't know. So, like, for now, I'll just say that for Venom, Let There Be Carnage, I'll give it an 8.1. See, and, and I'm I'm with you in the aspect of the next one could definitely change my ranking on this one. Um, You know, my biggest example of that is I really loved The Force Awakens. I did not like The Last Jedi. And I did enjoy Revenge of the Sith. But a return of the Sith or no rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Gosh, I couldn't even think of the name, uh, but yeah, I, I liked they're... it so much that I was really bummed overall with some aspects that it actually made me 
drop my value of the force awakens because i had to acknowledge that there were certain things that i didn't like in the second two films of that trilogy that kicked off in that first one and so where they go with this third one could be completely awesome or it could make things very confusing as to why they did what they did with certain scenes in this one so i mean i'm i definitely am i'm looking forward to the next one seeing where they go with it as a trilogy but Based off of my experience with Star Wars franchise that I absolutely love, <laughs> I was not so thrilled on the sequel trilogy as I am the other trilogies in that one. So I'm like, well, this could still go south. But, I mean, it's got all the right, you know, ingredients. You got the right actors and stuff. You got the right people writing it. And clearly they know the source material almost as much as uh, Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Like Ryan Reynolds just is Deadpool. Right. Deadpool broke broke the fourth wall by entering our world and becoming Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and while we're on the topic of the sequel trilogy, so like my experience was that I enjoyed the Force Awakens, and then the Last Jedi. I I wasn't sure how I felt about it right away. Like there were some things I felt like i didn't like and some things i thought well i guess i see what they were doing there and right. then after the second watch i was like okay there are some really amazing moments in this like with the messages they're trying to convey mm -hmm. and so there was a good while where i felt convinced that i liked the last jedi more than the force awakens oh. but then but then like when i rewatched them again in preparation for the rise of skywalker i noticed that like the pacing for The Last Jedi kind of dragged for me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I think I like The Force Awakens more than The Last Jedi. And then after watching The Rise of Skywalker, it's like, okay, yeah, I guess these, like, 8 and 9 aren't as great as I was hoping they'd be. Like, I still... <laughs> Like, The Force Awakens is definitely my favorite of the trilogy. I think it's well-paced, well-acted. Every character has, like, something to do, pretty much. And, and like the last jedi and rise of skywalker i feel like are in the mid to late 60s for me now like in percentage wise it's <laughs> like they're they're close to like they're middle of the road for me they have good moments but also like some questionable decisions like so like they're late 60s they're close to the moon landing but they don't quite land there <laughs> uh, that's like my metaphor for it right um and so yeah, and I feel like definitely like they did a lot with Rey and Kylo Ren, but then like in Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, it feels like they didn't know they didn't do in as much with Finn, mm. Rose, and Poe as they should have. Right, and it felt like they're kind of grasping at straws. But I, I still enjoy certain things about the movies. It's just I have like I, I like rank them um, in different places on my list i guess right no and i i've i've said that a long time with star wars it is hard to rank the movies because even each one of the movies has their good bad happy and sad moments yeah right so it's like it got to a point when i was watching them all that it, i would skip through and just start watching my favorite scenes <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh i don't want to ah, who cares about java and the sail barge let's get to the sarlacc <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if we're being honest, the whole first act in Jabba's palace kind of drags like that could have been truncated into 
a thrilling opening scene, although the first scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, it could have been, like, the end of one adventure, and then you dive into the next adventure. Right. Know? Right. I mean, I think the only thing about that scene for me that really does it for me is is we get to see Luke use the dark side and force choke some Gamorans. I'm like, ooh, that's a oh, very dark okay, thing so, to do, Luke. Yeah, so I was thinking about this sometime within the last several months, but you know, when Luke is on the sail barge and like using his lightsaber on like all the people on there, mm-hmm. it's like you have the thrilling adventure music, so it feels triumphant. But if they really wanted to play up the dark side aspect, they could have used like a different piece of music and make it feel like he's embracing like hatred and like slaying his foes. Like, right? Like it's it's weird, like how different you would like see the scene if only they had changed the music right or just have like one character that was like uh one of the gamblers from uh uh the last jedi when they went to that stupid kato bite (laughs) you could have one of them in the background and be like why is the jedi killing everybody (laughs) yeah palpatine was right they are evil (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I, there are some things I do like about Canto Bite, but I feel like, okay, so I was thinking about this very recently. I think it would have been improved if they had run with Finn being force sensitive. And so like in Canto Bite, maybe he like right. does like force push or something against like some guards or whatever that come against them. And that would be like a fist pump moment and be like, oh, Finn is force sensitive. And they kind of like, it, it feels like something that disappears in The Last Jedi and then they kind of touch on it in rise of skywalker but not really so it feels like unfulfilled potential right there which is unfortunate right and they could have played up you know who's really the you know who's the one that's supposed to be carrying this lightsaber is it supposed to be finn or is it supposed to be ray like they never like we we had that moment as toy collectors (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean for me that the second tier cast was definitely the highlight of those films because I, I, the part that I hated the most was what they did with the old school cast. Like I, I was not a fan of the direction that they were forced to go in the end. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of where they chose to go before they were forced either. But I was definitely a fan of of Ray's character, Finn, Poe, and uh, of Kylo Ren or Kylo Ben, as we like to call him. <laughs> I, but you're right, though, in the aspect of by the time you get to the last one, Poe's character and Finn's character and, and, and Rose, who got brought in to be forgotten immediately, they all got the shaft. Like, in fact, like the whole the whole thing about Finn having any kind of force sensitivity being hinted at all was like the only thing that made him special aside from oh, I'm going to make you a general with me. We'll both be generals. Like, aside from them both becoming generals, they really got shafted and they had a great buildup. I mean, don't get me wrong. Ray and Kylo, huh, that was the story. Like, I, you know, that was probably hands down my favorite aspect of that entire trilogy. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely weird for me because, you know, being a big Star Wars fan like myself and then coming out of the newest stuff and liking the first one and then being like really on the fence and then hating the second one. And then when I walked out on the third one, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch this again. Like, I was, I was pissed when I first watched it. But then as I watched it more and more, I've come to appreciate that film, not as part of the trilogy, but as the film itself. It's beautiful. Just beautiful. Like, there's a lot of plot points and stuff that I don't like, but visually, it's one of the most stunning films in the entire, you know, sequel trilogy. But it's definitely one of those that I have analyzed and reanalyzed probably as much as I have the entire saga in all of my life. 
that's a short period of time to do just one film. Yeah. And I mean, I do wonder if our like opinions of the movies will change like, I don't know, a decade from now when we're like so used to how it is. But I think there are some things that will be like, yeah, they could have done that better. And like, hopefully like future projects will, um, I guess, use certain characters to their full potential, hopefully. Like right. I did like, I did like what they did with the, um, original trilogy cast for the most part, but I do see like how they could have done it a little better. So, right. yeah. Right. It's I think for me, the biggest thing was not even in a flashback. Did we see them together? I mean, and I think that would have been, you know, we did with yeah. Luke and Leia, but it would have been nice to have seen in all three moments since we never really got that. I think that that was definitely one of my bigger complaints. But I mean, I, I went into that one knowing I was going to have issues because it was set in an era in an alternate universe that I absolutely loved. I mean, Legends was my my jam, man. New Jedi yeah. Order was my favorite story in all of Legends. So like, I knew going in, like, okay, this is going to be different. But I was like, well, Miles Morales came from a different Spider-Man story, and I absolutely love that character in that universe. So I was open. But I don't think I was yeah, bringing it back to yeah, <laughs> yeah, bring it back to like Spider Man and Marvel and all that. It's all connected, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we like went all over the place, but it was like a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> all right, so I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. So thanks for joining me again, Mark. Where can people find your stuff? Well, you can find me out there at the starwarsreport.com. We've got a bunch of podcasts on there. I'm on the Star Wars Report. I'm on Star Wars Beyond the Films. And uh, you can see some old episodes, The Padawan's Perspective. My Padawan grew up and she uh, has no time to record with her dad. So I'm waiting uh, for the youngest Padawan to want to record. And maybe I'll I'll kick it back up again at some point. Um, you can also find me out there on the internet at Illogical Rogue 2. Although I have to say, uh, if you see me playing PlayStation 4, <laughs> don't shoot to kill. My son's been bullied hardcore, and I uh, realized that I may have been inadvertently the cause. He was playing, uh, what was he playing? Call of Duty, and for over 40 minutes, he was getting kicked out of every group he was in by his own teammates, being shot in the head by his own teammates, and being murdered viciously by everyone else. He ended up quitting playing the download of the game, un uninstalled it and everything. I was just like, when he told me what happened, because I, I knew he was mad, when he told me what happened, I was like, oh. And I didn't tell him that I'd been telling everyone for the last two years to shoot for the head, because I'm like, oh, God, someone was listening. So don't shoot at him. He's he's innocent. He's good, but he's innocent. But yeah, otherwise, I am a logical rogue too everywhere else. Um, I Occasionally, it is me on the PlayStation 4, but not if it's a shooting game, because I suck. You get me on an old Xbox, <laughs> I'm awesome. New Xbox, I'm old school. Yeah, don't listen to Thanos. Don't go for the head. <laughs> <laughs> right? All right, nice. Yeah, you, you got a taste of Mark talking Star Wars, so you can like hear more of that at uh, Star Wars Report and Star Wars Beyond the Films. It's a lot of fun. Right. Um, yeah, that is the downside <laughs> of having me on a show, is they'll probably drift into Star Wars. Everything to me relates to Star Wars in some form or fashion. All my kids are named after Star Wars characters, my dogs, that, everything. It's, 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 that's that's a weird way to pronounce upside. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
All right. Um, as for my plugs, uh, you can follow me at Steven Schinder on Instagram and Twitter, Steven Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. You can also get my fantasy horror comedy novel, Lemons Will Like Rain, which is on Amazon. And more info on that at stevenschinder.com. I'm also writing and editing for Culture Slate, which is an entertainment news site. They are at Culture Slate pretty much everywhere. Even have a Star Trek podcast nice. over there called Star Trek Culture. So I'm part of that, uh, re- reviewing and discussing the latest episodes of Star Trek Discovery with Liana Ahmed. Videos go up on the Culture Slate YouTube channel on Fridays. And they also go up on, you can also go to channel1138.com slash Star Trek Culture. If you want to email delayed replay, you can email delayed replay podcast at gmail.com and we might read your thoughts on the show. All right. Without further delay, have a good day. Uh, still a vampire. Thanks to those evil worms. But I've repented from the cravings. My dog has lifted my spirits, reminded me to cling to my humanity. Just gotta be sure to stay inside and stay safe.